This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Well, the National Comorbidity Survey report found that an estimated prevalence of PTSD among adult Americans is almost 8%, with women twice as likely as men to suffer from PTSD at some point in their lives. Joining me to shed some light on some new research into this troubling problem are Dr. Stephen Glatt. He's Associate Professor of Psychiatry, Behavioral Sciences, Neuroscience, and Physiology at Upstate Medical University, and Ivan Castro. He's a project manager for a program called the Research Education for Undergraduates, and he's also a graduate student in global health. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. Ivan, let me uh, start by asking you, what is the Research Education for Undergraduates program? What is this? It's a, it's a training program. Uh, we recruit uh, students every year, and uh, our it's a National Science Foundation funded program. So there's there's multiple are used throughout the country. The one we have here, we focus on trauma studies, and one of the unique uh, features of it is we recruit half of the participants are student veterans, and the other. So the notion, just to, just to interrupt you for a second. So the notion here is that your focus is almost exclusively on trauma. <clears throat> and and therefore, and PTSD is part of that, and therefore, not only in terms of the subject matter that you study, but the students that you also involve as being little as being trained in research are veterans as well. Yes, and it creates a great balance between uh, the veteran students and the traditional students, and just looking at it from both points of views. <clears throat> so these are for undergraduates. What where's this program come out of? You said National Science Foundation, but what are the institutions that are participating? Uh, in ours is uh, Syracuse University, SUNY Upstate, and SUNY Oswego. Uh, so we have great mentors, faculty from all of those schools that come here and they get together, and we train uh, about ten students every summer. So it's a summer program. Yes. So Dr. Glatt, obviously you've been a mentor. That's your role. Tell us about how you got involved and what you do for the program. So I got involved in the very first year. I've been fortunate to be involved with it for five years and see five cohorts. And what Ivan didn't mention is that he was one of our trainees. Mm. And so we're super proud that he's gone on to enroll in graduate school and to be the project manager for the REU. But you said the rate of PTSD is like 8%, which makes it a common disorder. But among military veterans, it can be upwards of 20%. So when we designed this research education unit, yeah, we felt it was really important that some of the students be veterans themselves to shed light at firsthand perspective on what it's like to experience trauma and what it's like in some cases to deal with PTSD. And they share their perspective with the traditional students. Meanwhile, the traditional students who are very high level students, we've had over 140 applications this last year for five slots for wow. traditional students. So it's very competitive. They're the best of the best. And they share some of their perspectives on getting into graduate school research experience with our veteran undergraduates who oftentimes haven't had exposure to research. So in other words, it's really a win-win. Basically, both groups of these students kind of impact the other and in, per, in terms of life experience, but also in terms of maybe academic experience and how to move forward. So Ivan, tell us about the, some of the work that you did, both in your in your tenure as this, um, as as a fellow, as as a participant in the research, uh, looking at PTSD, I know you you did some data mining. You yes. found some in, very interesting information. What is what have you found, and what it, what's your kind of take on this? Um, well, I'm very in interested in uh, developmental and attachment theory. So I looked at uh, just positive family relationships and how they correlate with uh, resilience, which is uh, a big thing. 
uh, when trying to buffer the effects of experiencing that traumatic event. So let me back up for a second. Resilience is something we've been hearing about for probably a decade or more, maybe even longer, as a quality that helps people withstand perhaps traumatic events. And what you're suggesting then, just so I get it clear, is that looking at early childhood experiences within a, a family or with their you know, caregivers of impact their ability to develop this quality called resilience. Yes. Uh, so resilience, uh, as a dispositional attribute, gets uh, fostered with positive relationships early on. So when you say a dispositional attribute, clarify that for me. Is That means it becomes part of their character, <clears throat> part of their temperament? Yes. Uh, it's part of the character, and it's just having self-esteem and self-efficacy, uh, being able to regulate your temperament and being competent at just tasks. And uh, that, that happens just uh, early on. So as a child, if you experience, you know, this, this may be kind of subjective from the child's perspective, but if they're experiencing a positive relationship as they grow up, they will know that they can bounce back from any situation. Or it, not just know that, what you're suggesting is somehow slowly over time, that kind of positive relationship is what enables them to build a sense of self-efficacy, maybe self-worth, yes, and their ability to manage trauma. So did the research that you did, or looking into the data that you looked at, support this notion? Yes. Uh, the data analysis supported uh, the notion, a highly correlated uh, positive family relationships to resilience. So resilience is like a, a mediator. So from family to resilience to lower PTSD symptom scores. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with neuropsychologist Dr. Stephen Glatt and student um, Ivan Castro. We're talking about um, his student research into uh, a project into PTSD and other things. So um, I want to turn to you for a second, Dr. Glatt. What do you think the research has shown, and Ivan comment on this as well, in terms of what are the fundamental characteristics of that positive relationship that does foster this notion of resilience? I'm happy to speak. I think resilience is probably, it's been a focus for about 10 years, as you said, maybe even longer as a psychological construct, like something we're trying to define as being optimistic and self-determined we've reached a point where resilience may be almost a target that we want to study in and of itself, not just as a mediator anymore. And so I'm a psychologist and I relate to Ivan's training in psychology as well, thinking about it as a psychological construct. But I'm also a genetic epidemiologist. And by paying attention to the research on PTSD genetics, we're starting to identify risk factors for PTSD, bona fide risk genes for PTSD. And I see that as an opportunity to say, what else are individuals at high risk for PTSD packing in terms of resilience genes that may buffer them from the fact that they're carrying a lot of risk for PTSD, but they don't experience PTSD? So almost irrespective of what their environment or their parent, the parenting style they grew up in, you're suggesting there may be some genetic um, underpinnings mm -hmm. to support this notion of resilience. That's right. So just like every psychiatric illness or every psychological trait, it's not nature or nurture, it's both. both and how they work together. I think resilience is probably a combination of 
something you're born with, but also something you learn from your parents and in your environment. And we're focused on finding the genetic part of that, and Ivan's more focused on finding that environmental fostering part of that. So it dovetails pretty nicely. So you're working on trying to find those markers, mm -hmm. biomarkers or what have you, but getting back to you, Ivan, what are some of the fundamental things that you did find? For example, I would think of things like unconditional love or unconditional acceptance being an important initial uh, parent-child, you know, kind of force, um, and perhaps appropriate boundary setting, those kinds of things. What are the kinds of things you found? Um, yeah, so you're right with that. Uh, just uh, <laughs> a loving relationship always helps, right? Uh, but just uh, as a parent, just being, being supportive of your child and just having more of an authoritative parenting as opposed to authoritarian. So let's clarify. So what's the difference between authoritative and authoritarian? Authoritarian is, uh, hey, you have to do this. Because I say so. Yes. Not authoritative okay. is more like, hey, you have to do this or you can't do that and this is why. You explain to them, you know, the consequences of what could happen. Um, so Almost like you're the, you're the authority and that's got to be clear but you respect enough the child to give them both the rationale or um, the dignity yeah, in a way an explanation, of explaining. Because they, they need that. If they're always constantly being told what to do or what not to do, it's just, that you, it's just a, a straight order type of thing. And, and it, that therefore they don't learn what? They don't learn to make their own decisions. They don't learn consequences of their own as opposed to just always looking for somebody else. So it makes them kind of uh, not very high on self-esteem. So when they grow up, they're like, okay, I need to do this, and they're just kind of looking for an answer from somebody else because then it was never fostering them to make their own decisions, and if they fail, they always will have someone to back on. on. What's interesting to me is, though, when we talk about military, you, you always think of the military model as one where you just obey orders and you don't question and you maybe don't even ask for the reasons behind something. Do you think that might be why, or a potential contributor to why people who are in the military might experience, PT and this is just coming out of my head, PTSD with having not had maybe more of this opportunity for self-development? Um, what do you think? I, it'll be interesting to look at. So I mean, if, a if, a child, if a child experienced an authoritarian parenting style and then they join the military and it's just it's like a, the same cycle going over they could be more prone to develop PTSD if they experience a trauma but that's just me I, I, no one's done research on We're that but it would be pretty uh, for future studies and again from a genetic point of view there is a genetic contribution to risk taking and to novelty seeking and these are features that you see among military veterans as well so it's hard to disentangle what oh. drew someone into the military and put them at a greater risk of exposure to trauma but the military just like any any social cohort has all types in it sure so uh, basically a lot of the your research though isn't just limited to military when we talk about PTSD I mean it can it can be trauma exists you know ubiquitously yes, right. throughout our world and it takes many forms as a matter of fact um, you were mentioning to me at one point that a certain type of trauma can be more deleterious to a child even more so than a, perhaps something like a single traumatic event yes yeah, so childhood trauma has <clears throat> been found that childhood trauma leads to a lot of disorders later on which is a lot of problems but just experiencing like a car accident or a natural disaster one-time event you can still 
build resilience if you have those positive uh, family relationships there. But if you, as a child, you experience constant daily trauma from negligence or abuse, uh, malnourishment, it, it, it takes a bigger toll. And then you just kind of like, you know, keep pounding the hammer on and on. And it's just that that's the worst kind of trauma as a child could experience that later on will develop, you know, their high risk for depression, uh, suicide risk, PTSD. All of those kinds of things. So ultimately, it's something that we kind of know intuitively. A positive, loving relationship would help someone grow up with maybe a more positive approach to the world and maybe more resilience, in quotes. But it's nice to see that some data actually is being accrued. And in your case, Dr. Glatt, that some biome... That's right, bio- the biology. We have to find the biology of resilience. We could foster it in everybody. Yeah, I guess that's that's the key here. So is this program that you're both engaged in looking in the very little bit of time we have left to help develop that for people? I mean, th- this kind of research? Long term, we want to understand what pe- puts people at risk for PTSD and then how we buffer people from that. Well, I think it's very hopeful, especially with people like Ivan working on it okay. and yourself. Thank you so very much for coming in. My guests have been Dr. Stephen Glad, Associate Professor of Psychiatry, Behavioral Sciences, Neuroscience, and Physiology at Upstate Medical University, and Ivan Castro, the Project Manager for Research Education for Undergraduates. I'm Lydia Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. <laughs>